Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. And what I want to talk with you today is entitled Resting in Him. Uh, honestly, I've never spoken directly on this topic of rest, and uh, I have been so encouraged and challenged this past week of honestly understanding what it means to rest in the finished work of God and to live in that place. And, uh, and through the Lord and just through other men and women of God just being poured into, I'm, honestly, I'm, I haven't been this excited to share the word. I, I'm always excited, but man, I have been so deeply, just chains were breaking this week. I, I'll be honest, I never go out on Saturdays because I'm always like finishing planning. And through this understanding of resting in Jesus, I was like, I got to put this into action. And so I just put everything down on Saturday, was out with the family. Like there is a supernatural, incredible rest that is available for those that follow Christ. And I'm going to explain what this means. I'm not just talking about taking more naps. <laughs> Although some of us just need to do that. But there is this incredible rest in the finished work of God. And a lot of you will find out, we'll look at a lot of our, our, our issues that we run into is simply we're restless. We haven't been able to learn how to sit and trust in who the Father is, who he says we are. And so it caused us to go in all different places. I mean, I think about our culture, just our culture in itself. And this is a more of a shallow view, but still, we are, we're chronic workaholics. I mean, we just work like crazy. We feel guilty if we're not always on the brink of exhaustion. We just keep going, going, going. We know it's not healthy, but in so many ways, it's where we find our significance, our value, our worth, and so we just can't stop. But the gospel offers a true rest. Jesus offers a deep inner rest that we don't just experience on Sundays. We can live in every single day. <laughs> When I was working before I got into the ministry, the old job I was at, maybe you've experienced this. Literally, people would brag about not taking vacation days. I've never seen anything like it, but it was, it was uh, somehow that was a sign that you were, you were stronger. And I just, I just want to share, there's, there's something so sweet here, and I believe that God's going to break change. If you find yourself usually living in restlessness, anxiety, worry, chains are going to break today. I believe God has spoken that over me. If we just lean in right now, like God is going to set you free. I believe at the end we're going to pray, and this stuff is seriously going to break off of people. It's been breaking off of me this week, and I just believe what's been imparted to me, I want to impart to you. So here's this story, Luke chapter 10. It's on the screen if you don't know it, verses 38 to 42. It's a story of Mary and Martha, these two sisters, and God just revealed something to me that I guess I've never really looked at it in this way before. Maybe it's a specific revelation for us here. But it says this. Jesus comes to the house of these sisters, and it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, my beloved Martha. He loves her. He says, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset. You are anxious and troubled. You are exasperated by many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. 
So as I was reading this, this story has, it's, it seems quite simple, but I've always had a hard time understanding it because it's usually presented in that we need to choose and pick sides. Either we're going to be Martha's or we're going to be Mary's. As if God has said, either some of us serve and some of us live in intimacy with Jesus. And I've really had a hard time with that. And then I started thinking about the life of Christ. And if you look at Jesus in terms of serving, I mean, everything he did was serving. No one can outserve Christ. The fact that he enters into this world, takes on flesh and brokenness, and subjects himself to everything we go through, that in itself. But then he goes and all he does is heal, restore, bless. He's always giving away of himself to the point that he even gives his very own life. So I, I had a hard time saying, is Jesus really coming against serving? And then I thought, well, is Jesus teaching us that we need to be a people that literally sit at, the feet, sit at his feet? And I would say, well, we, we shared that the last few weeks, that certainly we need to take time doing that. But if you look at the life of Christ, he didn't just spend his whole life in a closet. He spent a lot of time with the Father, mornings and nights, but that intimacy was leading to a lifestyle of which he would serve others. Here's my point. What I feel like Lord was showing me is this is not about picking sides, but it's about seeing that he's teaching that we are called to live a life in which we are centered on the presence of God. We are centered on the presence of God. And we can, when we live like that, live like Martha's with an internal position of Mary. In other words, we can continually be sitting at his feet, continually doing life around his presence. And even when life gets crazy, we do it from a position of rest. You see, because what I found when I started looking at this is, I believe this is a physical picture Jesus gives of a spiritual truth like he often does. And there's so many uh, contrasts between Martha and Mary, but the one that was just jumping out and screaming out to me was Martha is pictured as one who is frantic. Martha is pictured as one who's dripping with anxiety and worry, and she's troubled, and she's exasperated, and she's running around. But Mary, the one who has learned to prioritize the presence, she is seated in rest. And when we learn to live a life in which we center the presence of God, it becomes the center of our life, there is a supernatural rest that flows from that. Why? Because God is rest. Jesus is our rest. His presence is rest. God told Moses in the wilderness, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. His presence brings rest. And when I thought about this, I realized in verse 30 in the very beginning, who invites who into the home? It's Martha that invites Jesus in. And man, God was just speaking to me of how this is so often the picture. Obviously, we know without Christ. We're living restless lives, but even in Christ, so many invite Jesus in that true born-again experience, but then we live like he's not there. We live a life that's not centered on his presence, and we become crazed and trying to hold our whole life together. And so many, that's like, that's what we know of it. We think that's Christianity. We, we receive Jesus, but then we go right back to living like we normally would. We live like orphans spiritually when we're really sons and daughters. We don't live in the trust of God, the promises of God, the provision of God. We think we've got to hold everything together in our life, and as a result, we are filled with anxiety and worry. I want to just break this idea that we come in here on Sundays, we experience this peace and rest of God, but then Monday hits and work gets crazy. Tuesday hits and we're changing a thousand diapers. 
Wednesday hits and we have fighting in our home. Thursday, the house is falling apart and we're just living like God is not even in the midst. But I believe that there's a rest. It's such a beautiful thing what God has just been downloading in me. There is a rest for born-again believers that is not just constrained to Sunday mornings. It is a life in which we live in the finished work of God and we can stay right in that place. And busyness... I want, to just, I want to make sure we're clear on this. And we've shared busyness the last few weeks of how it gets in the way of intimacy, but God showed me something a little bit different. Busyness is not just when you have a lot on your plate. Because some of you might be saying, what am I supposed to do? I, I'm a single parent. Some of us, we're working so many hours. We have kids, and it's just a crazy lifestyle. But busyness is not about having a lot on your plate. That's what the Lord was showing me. Because look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was a busy, busy man, busier than we will ever be, yet he always lived in rest. In fact, Jesus was, one time he was in the most chaotic situation while he was on a boat in a storm, and the waves are just crashing around, and it says he's what? He's sleeping. He lived in rest. He lived in understanding of who the Father is, and therefore, in the midst of crazy situations, he was able to walk in that rest. In fact, he was at such rest that he was able to speak peace over his situation. He actually released what was inside of him. Rather than his situation crushing him, he said, no, I'm going to release the rest of God over this place. Listen, there is a, is a rest for the people of God that no matter what goes on around you, you can walk in that. So, so busyness is not about having a lot to do. It's when we allow our works to crowd out or eclipse his worth. It's when we allow, so you can have barely anything on your plate, but the moment you become distracted from his presence and resting in him and trusting in him is when the anxiety starts flaring up in our lives. Corey Ten Boom, you guys heard of her, Holocaust survivor. If you've been coming to Alpha, we've been hearing a lot from her. Incredible woman of God. She says, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Continually running, running, running. Put up Psalm 170, uh, 127, please. I wanted to share this. Look at this scripture. This is what the Lord showed me. <laughs> this is so good. This is so me. In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. So how many of us, like, we stay up late, we wake up early, just stressing out about provision and how things are going to work out in our life, and we're just bugging out. And then it says this, for he, meaning God, Grant sleep to those he loves. That is incredible. He's like, dude, go to sleep. Your, your father in heaven's got this. You're a son. You're a daughter. You don't have to live like that. The unbelievers worry about what am I going to eat, drink, wear. He says your father in heaven knows those things. Are you not more valuable to him than, than birds of the air? He says, you can live in this incredible place of trust in God. Now, I want to explain real quick. We're going to jump out of this for a second. I want to explain what rest is so we understand, uh, especially because we've never really spoken about this as a church, and then we'll just jump back into this story. I, I'm going to take you on a little journey real quick. Follow me. I promise you, I promise you this is going to be good for us. Uh, can you put up Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3? I want you to see... Man, there are some certain men of God just pouring into me this week and hearing the understanding of rest. And I want to show you what is rest and the price of rest and, and what it really looks like. So listen to this. This is the creation account. Just stay with me in this. This is in the beginning when God's creating everything. And this is coming to the seventh day. And this is what it says. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating, of all the work of creating that he had done. So why did God rest on the seventh day? Did God rest because he got tired? Did God rest because he got bored? Did God rest because he just got disinterested and just was tired of doing the same old thing? I can't take this Monday through Saturday thing of making the earth. I just need a break from this. Is this why God rested? No, the surrounding words say completed, finished, done. He rested because the work was done. I've heard it put this way. It's like a painter who paints a masterpiece and then steps back and admires it because there's no more work to be done. It's like a lawyer who presents his case, and at the end, what does he say? I rest my case. It's over. I have nothing else to add to this. It is finished. God rested on the seventh day because the work was finished. But now this is what's even more amazing is that days one through six, each day ends with saying it was evening and then it was morning. It was evening and then it was morning. And the point is, is because it was giving this progression, it was evening and there was a new day with more things to be created. But the seventh day never says it was evening and morning. It just says God rested. Why? Because the day, the seventh day, the day of rest was meant to be a permanent reality here on earth. Adam was born on the sixth day, which means when Adam went to bed and woke up in the morning, Adam's first day was in the last day. Adam's first day was in the rest of God. Adam was born in the realm of rest in which man was always created to live in. This is where we were created to live, in the rest, in the finished, perfect work of God. Having him as father, trusting him, staying right in that place. It's not like Adam was born on a Sunday with Monday lurking over his head. He had a day of rest and then he had to get back after it. He was born in the rest of God. Listen, this doesn't mean that Adam didn't work. He worked from rest, though. He cultivated the ground, co-laboring with God in partnership, purposeful work, not by the sweat of his brow. He worked from rest. And I think this is important because most of us perceive work as this behavioral escape, right, from life. Uh, For example, it would be like a weekend away, a vacation, For most of us, this is the idea of rest. We rest when we can get away, but actually rest is this permanent condition of the soul that we have been called to live in. Seeking escapes from stress is not the same as entering rest. This is completely different of what God has made available. It's about resting in what God has provided for us. It's about working, but working from this place of it is done, it is finished, and learning to trust that. All of our labors flow from that. And here's what's incredible is verse 3 of this account in Genesis says what about the seventh day? It says, it is blessed and it is holy. No other day was called holy. The seventh day, the rest of God is declared holy. Why is that important? Because my understanding of holiness, I've realized, is quite shallow. Most of the time we think of holiness as 
you puff up your chest and you do the right thing and you avoid doing the wrong things. Holiness is about reading your Bible, praying and loving people and and to, to walk in, in unholiness is, well, you know, when, you, when you're crazy with drinking and drugs, when you're sleeping around and when you shouldn't be, and when you're watching porn, that's unholiness. Well, actually, that's, that may be the fruit, that may be the fruit of holiness, but what this is saying is actually the root of holiness is when we learn to live in the rest of God. In other words, the reason why we do things that we know we shouldn't be doing is because we're not resting in the finished work of God. The reason why I can't stop going after these things is because I'm not learning to trust in who he says I am. I'm not learning to be sitting at his feet and just be content right there. We are robbed of rest when we start desiring other things outside of God, thinking we need them. The moment that starts happening, we start chasing after all these other things. But God wants to bring us to a place where we learn to live in the finished work of Jesus. And this was the position of Mary. She shows us. Martha's running around. Mary, while there's all these things going on, she learned to just adore him. She was content and satisfied in him. No matter what else was going on, that was her position. She realized all I need is found in him. And some of us are so crazy, running around restless, while our soul is crying out for more. And we're running in that place because here's what I've seen in my life. We run around in such busyness like Martha's, in such craziness, because I knew that if I came to a place of stillness, I would come into immediate awareness of my emptiness. And so I had to keep running. I had to keep going. I had to just find ways to just not be able to stop and say, oh my goodness, if I actually stop for a moment, I am so deeply dissatisfied and empty. Our working actually becomes this artificial significance to make us feel good when really we're just masking an empty soul inside. When I was in Teen Challenge with, um, well, I wasn't with Pastor Crystal, but she came to visit me. Uh, years ago, I went through this program for, for addiction. And when I was in there, our very first visit, we had a weekend visit on site. And Pastor Crystal came, and we could stay at this, uh, there was an apartment that we could stay at. And when she came to visit me, she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, no, no, there's just something so weird about it. You're at such peace. You're at such rest. Like something is not right. All she knew for these last 7, 10 years was Andrew, the racing runner, not just externally, but internally, just constantly going, going, going. And, I, and I, it's so funny. I didn't even really know the Bible at that point. But I shared with her. I said, honestly, it just feels like for the last 10 years, I've just been in this blur of just racing and running, just covering up this emptiness. And when I finally came to the Lord, it's like he's always been there. And the moment I turned to him, it's just like stillness just came. Like Im immediately, I was just like, man, I'm finally at rest. Like the running that I feel inside, it's over. It's over. And that's not just the reality Look, that's not just something that as unbelievers we run. Even as in Christ, I feel like so many, that's just what we've come to know of this walk. Like, okay, we accept Jesus, but then we live like he's not even there. But of course, sin has changed everything. And so let me just share with you the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. Are you guys following me right now? Yeah? You ready for God to move? <laughs> he already is. I can't wait. So sin changes everything, right? This realm of rest in which Adam was born into, which we were always created to live in, is shattered and broken. So the question is, where do we go from here? You see, if we were to experience rest again, there would have to be a work that would need to take place first. And the good news is, is that Jesus Christ has come 
to give us an opportunity to live in the finished work of God again. Listen to me. There's so many ways to, to, to present this, but here's just something the Lord was showing me these last few weeks. How many of you guys remember the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is betrayed, right? It says last night before he's crucified. And when he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows Judas is coming with the Roman officers to take him, and he brings up three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he says it goes about a stone's throw away from them, and he begins to cry out to the Father. And what does Jesus say? He says, my soul, my soul is in such distress to the point of death. It literally says that as he's praying there, it says that he literally begins to sweat blood. That's not some uh, uh, a metaphor that's actually a medical condition called hematidrosis. It's when you're so stressed out, your capillaries begin to break, and actually blood, you begin to sweat blood. Jesus was stressed out. The weight of the world and sin was on him. He was restless in this place. And where was his disciples that he said, stay awake and be alert? sleeping. And he comes back to them again and again. And finally, on the third time, Jesus comes to them and says, are you still sleeping and resting? And in that moment, I just saw this beautiful substitution take place that Jesus gave up his rest and entered into our restlessness so that we who were restless could enter back into the rest of God. And it gets even better than that because a work had to be done. It wasn't just in the garden. When Jesus entered in, he knew what had to take place in order for me and you to be able to live back in the rest of God. And he knew that the prophet Isaiah said that the work that had to be done is he would have to be pierced for our transgressions and he would have to be bruised for our iniquities. Transgressions are things that are outward, the outward acts of sin. So interesting, Jesus was pierced outwardly. The cat of nine tails, this whip, that had, that had nine whips at the end with metal. They whipped him 39 times. They, they just shredded him open. When they put him on the cross, they put nails in his, in his wrists and in his feet. He was pierced for our transgressions. Iniquity is internal things. Some even say it's long uh, sin of, of, of history, of genealogy. Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. They beat him so he had bruising on the inside. Which means when Jesus goes to the cross, he takes on the fullness of our brokenness. And when he hangs on the cross, he says, it is finished. And he was pierced and he was bruised for everyone in this room. He was pierced and bruised and did that work and said, it is finished. Not just, not just for me, not just for leaders, for every single person here. He did it for every white person. He did it for every black person. He did it for every Hispanic person. He did it for every Asian person. He did it for every single person. For all of eternity, the finished work of Christ is found in him. There's nothing else that needs to be added. And when he rests his head, it says he bows his head after he says, it is finished. And finally, for the first time, the Son of Man could rest his head because the work had been completed. There's nothing more that we can add. This is why Hebrews says, there's a rest that remains for the people of God in Christ. But if you are going to enter into that, you must cease from all of your works. Why? Because none of us could ever accomplish that work. The only work that could bring us back into the rest of God was the work of Jesus Christ, and he did it. And then it says, therefore, we should make every effort to be in that rest, to remain in that rest. And you say, well, that sounds kind of weird. Why do you make efforts to remain in rest? And what it's saying is we don't make efforts of striving. We make efforts of submission 
and yielding and surrendering and relying on him. In other words, you do whatever it takes in your life to continually come back to that sweet spot in which you are resting in what Jesus has done for you. The moment you feel yourself going outside of that, trusting lies about who you are and things God doesn't say about you, you have to make every effort to tear that down and come right back in to that sweet spot of the finished work of Jesus, who he says you are, the provision you have, the glorious promise and future that you have in him. And that's why it says in Ephesians 2, you guys remember this chapter where it says how we were dead, broken, and just doomed in sin, and it's like, all right, this is not that good of news. But then it says, but God who is rich in mercy, everyone that calls the name of Jesus, he says, God who is rich in mercy, he makes you alive with Christ. He raises you in what? Seats you in heavenly places. Your first position as a born-again believer is rest. You are seated with God. It's over. It's finished. Everything you've been looking for is found in him, and we live from that place. I want to I share something that I heard a pastor speak on this week on, on this idea of done from Upper Room. He said this. He said, it is finished. It's just like it is, it is done. It's like the same thing. I want to pull this, this slide up for a moment. And some of us at this moment say, so what, what's the point? I mean, what are we supposed to do? Are we, are we supposed to just do nothing? I, I don't understand. I thought as Christians we're, we're quite busy and serving and whatnot. And the point is, is that it is finished. It's like saying it is done. But there is a do in the done. But all of our doing flows from the done. I am not working anymore to try to earn God's love. I am not working anymore to try to earn anyone's favor here. I don't need that anymore. I know who I am in Christ. I know who my Father is. You work and serve and live from the done. The restlessness is gone as you come into this sweet spot and stay right there. Resting in God is not a matter of inactivity, but again, it's, 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 about, it's about coming to this place of which you are working and living from the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this is why this is so important, is because if we don't do that, here, here, let me put it this way, here's what the world says. The world says you, you work and then you rest. The kingdom says, actually, you first rest and then you work. If you don't know how to rest in me and rest in my done, all of your works will become so distorted. You will be that person up early in the morning and up late at night wondering how is my life all going to come together, replaying clips of what people have said about you and all this other stuff. When you understand the finished work of Jesus and that it's done, that's when all that worry and anxiety just starts to go right out the window. Heidi Baker, anyone know Heidi Baker here? Incredible woman of God. I heard a nice yeah over there. Incredible woman of God. I mean, it's amazing. This, this woman, talk about learning how to rest in God and what God's done through her in Mozambique, Africa. Over 7,000 churches. I mean, she, she, she just loves the person in front of her. That's her whole motto. I just love the next person. And God just has done incredible things through her. But listen to what she says. She says, rather than being purpose-driven, I prefer to be presence-centered. Come on, that's what we're talking about today. Rather than being Martha's running around frantic in our life, she says, no, no, I live from the presence. I'm presence-centered. She says, all of our efforts in God's kingdom must originate from the place of rest, from the place of his presence. Because if they don't, all of our works become so distorted. You will find yourself doing things, trying to earn favor, trying to find significance, trying to find value, love, 
You'll find yourself getting very bitter. Listen, Martha, it's amazing. Martha started to attack Mary. Martha actually began to rebuke Jesus and actually questioned, do you even care about me? Listen, when you start to operate as a worker, not a worshiper, you start to get very angry and critical of other people. Workers always attack worshipers. How do I know this? Because I tend to be a worker. My wife is a worshiper. And I get frustrated saying, how can you do the same thing I'm doing but not be doing it from my frantic pace? So be careful because workers like to suck in worshipers and say, no, 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 you must be lazy or something. Come with me. You've got to be running at this pace. You've got to be in this crazed moment. And it frustrates me that she can do the same thing. In fact, here's the honest truth. Worshipers outwork workers. Lovers outwork workers. Why? Because in the end, the worker, if you don't serve from intimacy, eventually you get burnt out, frustrated, and you spend more time being judgmental and critical of everyone else than actually doing the work. And lovers and worshipers just go right by still doing everything God has called them to do. So thank you for teaching me that lesson. I need to be more of a... Uh, give it a round of applause. So we want to be worshipers. We, we want to work from the place of rest. Here's what I love about this story. I believe it just so comes against this mindset in our culture that has crept into the church, which is this promotional mindset. I've got to go. I've got to make a name. I've got to get bigger, better. Everything has become a platform to elevate ourselves. The name of Jesus has become a platform to build up my own kingdom for everyone to see me and who I am. And I have felt the pull to be sucked into that, and that may look different in your own life, but here's, the, here's what happens is when you do that, you are always in restlessness, always, you're never content, always need more, got to go bigger, got to go better, got to get to this place. We start valuing influence over intimacy. Listen, you can have influence, but without intimacy, it's empty with Jesus. The whole goal is for us to be able to just sit at his feet. Literally, and then even when we live, just stay in that place and be content right there. If you say, Pastor, what's success? Success is not crowds. Success is not having multiple homes. Success is not having multiple cars and six-figure salary. That's all fine and dandy. If God has blessed you and you've worked hard and you know, God uses you to bless others, that's fine. But success, what he shows us with Mary, is simply a heart that is captivated by Jesus. And when you stay in that place, all of that pull, I've got to do more, do more, all that comparison just goes out the window, and you can begin to learn to live just from saying, I mean, I'm good. I've got Jesus. I don't need to go after any of that other stuff. Life is not found in the achievements. Life is found in him. If we live like Martha's, it doesn't matter how much we do, we will be empty. God is calling us to simply learn to live this lifestyle of continually sitting at his feet. And the last thing I'll share is busyness. Busyness always wars against our consciousness of God. See, Martha invited Jesus in, but then she was so busy doing these other things, she wasn't even paying attention to Jesus. She was busy running around. When we allow busyness, whatever that looks like, things to distract us, we lose consciousness of God that is even with us in that place. And here's what's amazing is who was hearing the voice of God? It was Mary. You have to enter into rest to hear him who sits in rest for all of eternity. If you are constantly in anxiety and worry and busy and running, God could be speaking all day and you will miss it.
I, again, I know that firsthand, especially with preparing messages. If I'm in anxiety, I can't hear anything from God. But the moment I enter rest and I just begin to sit and be still with him, man, that's when I can hear the voice of God. And if you run and live in this crazy lifestyle, you miss the suddenlies of God. Listen, God may prepare you for something. He can sometimes stir. But what I found is that often when God does something, you just don't know when it's going to come. You don't know when that person who has no title speaks a scripture over your life that just changes the, the trajectory of your life forever. And if you're in constant chaos of worrying and living like there's no God in your life, man, those things come and you just miss it. You just miss it. But there's a beautiful life of rest that is available. And so if you ask, why don't I rest, Pastor? I know we shared some things. Number one, this is what it comes down in my life. It's trust. I'm not trusting the promises of God. I'm not trusting who he says I am. Every time I run into anxiety and worry and start living like Martha, it's because I'm believing a lie more than I'm believing what God says in my life. Every single, it's just that simple. And I start believing it, and then if I let it go, it just takes me down this whole rabbit trail of death. And most of us like to know every detail of our life, so we were wrestling with trying to figure everything out, and God's saying, just trust, trust me. So three quick things I leave for you, practical things. You're like, well, what do I do? How do I rest? Here's three practical things you can do. Number one, to be a people that sit at the feet of Jesus, meaning positionally, we must actually sit at his feet. There's no way around that. It's everything we've talked about, ab abiding, beholding. We must actually learn to get away from the hustle and, and learn to just be still with him. I promise you there's no sweeter time than that. Learn to make that your number one priority and your life will change. Fruit will just start taking place. Again, Heidi Baker said this. She said, the Lord came to her one day and said, Heidi, if you just devote your mornings to me, I'll do more with you in a day than you could ever do in a whole year. So she said, okay, I'll learn to trust you, Lord. I won't learn to run like you're not there. She gave the Lord her mornings. And again, you look her up. You'll be amazed at what God has done through this. Dead or raised, blind sea. It's incredible what takes place. And she simply just rests in, in him. Number two, observe the Sabbath. I can't believe it. It just hit me. The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. And yet I will never cheat on my wife. I would never do all these other things. But when it comes to the Sabbath, I'm like, eh, not a big deal. No, we could do a whole series on that. It is so important that every week, you learn to take 24 hours out of that week to just rest in God. Robert Morris from Gateway Church is an awesome teacher. He says, when you practice the Sabbath, you actually witness to yourself that you trust in the finished work of God. You don't have to keep running around to try to make everything work. So that's why I said this weekend, I, it was the first time. I said, you know what, Lord, I'm doing it. I'm practicing it. And here I am today, and I feel great. <laughs> God's got me. It's okay. And God's got you, and you can rest. And the last thing I'll share with you, worship team can come on up. And the last thing I'll share with you is it's okay to say no. It's okay to know your limitations. That's actually a means of healthiness when you know your boundaries. You don't have to do things the way everyone else does it. It's okay to rest. Like I said before, some of us, we feel, I, I'm speaking myself, there are times where I feel so guilty in resting that I feel like the only way I have any value or worth is when I'm constantly on the brink of exhaustion. I feel like that's the only way I'm actually doing things. It's okay to live a life of rest. Any Chick-fil-A fans in here? Got some workers. I know some people work here. I'm not going to shout them out. It's kind of sitting over here in the third row. 
But look, Chick-fil-A, incredible story. Just to give you a, a real example, I, I heard the president of Chick-fil-A speak in the city a few, a few months ago. Um, actually, more than that now. But here's what he said. He talked, he shared the testimony. He said when they started to, to get a name, they started applying to get into malls. And malls said, no way, you don't work on Sundays. If you know Chick-fil-A, their Sunday is a day of worship and rest for their employees. So he said, no way, we're not going to take you. You're not going to do as much business. So they said, we're not budging on this principle. Like, this is who we are. We just, Sunday is our rest day for our employees. So they stuck to it. Well, wouldn't you know, they started finding out that Chick-fil-A does better business in six days than all these other places are doing in seven days, and they invite them into the mall. Come on, you can trust in God. We can be a people of rest. We can be a people of rest. But here's the reality. Augustine said this, one of the great church fathers. He said this. He says, our souls are restless until we find rest in him. If you are restless today, if you are just feel like you're all over the place, there is a rest available in Jesus Christ. I want to read this last scripture. I'm going to pray. Stand with me here. Stand with me here. Don't check out of this moment. It's from the Gospel of Matthew, verses 28 to 30. Just close your eyes for a moment and just receive this. This is the words of Jesus. He says, are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? He says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this right here. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And I believe right here, right now, God wants to break those vicious and deadly cycles of restlessness in your life. It's when we learn to rest in him, we will see the fruit of that in us following and obeying. And when we learn to be satisfied in him and content in what he has done for us. So if you are restless, there is three words for you today. Come to me. Not to me as a pastor. Not to a building, not to a church. Come to Christ himself who is life. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693.